We are now recording. Uh, I'd like to uh, welcome all to another edition of In the Can. I'd like to welcome my guests uh, today, Mark Rupert. And then also sitting in today is one of our fellow faculty here at uh, the Film TV Media Program at San Bernardino Valley College, uh, Kevin Lyons. Uh, I invited him in here today because uh, he's helped run R48 here in the Inland Empire through the Institute of Media Arts. And so... I figured Kevin has some insight and add to the conversation. So welcome, everybody. Glad. Thank you. Glad to be here. Awesome. Um, so just to get right into it, like I, we were, it, Mark was gracious enough to come on our opening, our kickoff night here, and because it's the 20-year anniversary of the 48 uh, here in San Bernardino, and I told him, I said, my first like academic exercise, if you will, was doing a conference proposal on the 48. So it was just kind of, you know, things go 360 or apropos or however you want to look at it. And so here we are today as a full-time professor and, and I'm still a part of the 48, which I think is pretty cool. So, but before we get into that, like, what were you doing prior to the 48? So I had uh, graduated from uh, law school. I'm, I'm, well, let me preface by saying I'm a Washington, D.C. native, one of the few. And so uh, born and raised here in Washington, D.C. Um, went to college, did a few different jobs, and then went to law school. And while I was in law school, I found that I um, did not want to be a lawyer, but I really enjoyed um, organizational management. Uh, by the time I was in my last year, I had been elected the president of the Student Bar Association, um, which refers to a legal bar, not a bar bar. Uh, and so uh, really that honed my skills of working with people, managing an organization. From there, I got a job running a local chamber of commerce in the D.C. area, did that for five years. And while I was doing that, I took a couple of film classes and kind of reignited my old love of films. Uh, and so from there, I left my job and created my own production company, doing a bunch of corporate videos, promotional videos, that type of thing. And during that time, I made my first uh, couple of short films. And so that's what kind of got me into the filmmaking world, if you if you will. I, I want to touch on old love of film. So obviously you had this love of film before you got into law school. So what happened along that between because we run it, Kevin and I run into students like this all the time. They, they seem to stumble into our film classes, even though they were told they had to do a different major. Is it something similar for you or how did, how did that all work out? Yeah, well, it's one of those silly ideas you have in your head when you're a young person. And it's like, well, I don't know how I can make earn a living doing films. So I just pushed it out of pushed it away and focused on other things. Didn't take any, um, wasn't part of the AV club in high school, did not take any video classes in college, um, even though we had quite a, a good video department. And, uh, and it wasn't until later that I, I rediscovered what I used to love as a 12 year old of running around with a super eight movie camera and making little films. Where'd you go to college? 
I went to SMU in Dallas. Okay, cool. Um, Kevin, do you have any any thoughts so far? You've been very strangely. Quiet. I am just listening. I am I am intrigued. So yeah, I'm just I'm just sitting here listening. All right, so for I'll turn. pick it up then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What? Our two short films made it into a couple of very small film festivals and they were uh, well received. So that really got the juices going, of course. I mean, nothing is better than than being in an audience and your film is playing and you hear the audience laughing when they're supposed to laugh. And so that was really quite rewarding. Um about that time, I had read an article about two women who had started one of the very first 24-hour theater competitions. And for those, you have to write, rehearse, and perform all within the 24-hour window. And I thought this was super, super cool. I thought it would be really neat if we could do it in uh, with video, but I also thought we would need more than, than 24 hours. So that's where the concept of 48 hours came from and what was interesting at that time because that was in 98 we couldn't actually even if i had wanted to start it right then it was impossible technologically not enough people had access to equipment so i was busy with other things ran a theater show um, for a couple of years and it wasn't until 2001 where everything aligned and i went to three filmmaking friends of mine and pitched them hey here's a crazy idea if you guys put a team together i'll put a team together and let's see if it's even possible to make a, a short film in 48 hours and that's essentially how it got started but i think what's interesting 98 when you had the thought and then 2001 and there's a little movie in between there that hit in 1999 called episode one star Wars attack of the clones. And I believe about, I think 30% of that was shot digitally. And and so Lucas had wanted to do it all digitally and, and they didn't have the technology. So it's just interesting that that kind of, that timeline seems to, the, the, yeah, the from Hollywood yeah. the it was all the same. Everybody's itching to get to the digital, and that's what made it really put it in the hands of everyone, right? Yeah. Did you do it on, uh, so 2001, that'd be probably DV cam of some sort? Yep, we shot ours on a mini DV. Um what, what did I have? I had the uh, Canon uh, XLSR or something like that. Um, now it's been so long ago, I can't even remember. Yeah, it's X- XL1, I'm sure, or yeah, XL2. XL1. I've, yeah, got, I've got the XL1 sitting in my office on a shelf. <laughs> that was the go-to for <laughs> That was the go-to. Mine's still up in the attic, so there you go. So we shot on mini DV, um, and I think that the people I was working with, they were um, editing on a, some huge avid and they spit it out to beta sp so we delivered on beta sp oh man wow <laughs> was that the big i'm trying to remember smaller that, it's a smaller it's one. a smaller yeah, one because yeah, yeah. i've also got a digi beta tape from back around the same time <laughs> that's what we used uh when i was in film school to say around that same time oh two we did our thesis project on super 16 but to do the to not lose uh, quality, you had to transfer it onto this Betacam tape, 
Well, or the three quarter inch ones, which were the big. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, so it's just uh, big old VHS tape. It's basically. just tripping me out. Now. <laughs> so, what were the pitfalls first that you you discovered in trying to do this in forty eight hours on two thousand and one technology? Well, just thinking back to that time, we so the, two of the three people I pitched the idea to loved it and signed up immediately. The other one um, was very skeptical, thinking it was virtually impossible to do it successfully. But he did. He did uh, bring a team in. Um, the next thing that happened is that we spoke to a friend of ours who was the manager of a local movie theater. And she said that if you all do this, I will gladly screen your films. So the net result was when words started to get out around town, we had 10 teams that very first time um, sign up to participate. And I can't remember what our on time versus late ratio was. Certainly it was, there was nobody significantly late, but I assume there were a couple of people who were late, but all 10 teams submitted a film. And as your listeners may or may not know, one of the great things about the 48 hour film project is if you make a film in the weekend, whether you're on time or late, you will get a theatrical screening. Um, so that's still true to this day. Um, what happens today is that you submit on the Sunday night of your weekend and then usually a week later, your film screens. But back in that very first year, the film screened that same night. Um, we actually had a couple of different tape decks hooked up to the projector and we just fed in the different tapes so that the films played right there and then. And Kevin, your oh, complaint. Wow. Kevin yeah. was complaining to me because our turnaround time was too quick this year. So look right. at that. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so you bring up technical challenges. You know, I'm I'm not remembering any specific things. What I remember was the adrenaline. Um, which I think our filmmakers still feel to this day and just the excitement of having done it in a weekend. The most interesting thing about that first year, and you have to remember there were no, um, there were no judges. uh, There was no winner. It was simply a, a contest with yourself, you and your team. Can you make a film in 48 hours? And that one friend of mine who was skeptical about the whole thing, he he not only had the best film, the film was 16 minutes long, and they edited it tape to tape. They didn't use computer editing. And he still did it all in 48 hours. Oh, my God. It's just mind-boggling to think about that today, but it just goes to show you uh, human ingenuity, right? That uh, just, I'm just trying to imagine tape-to-tape editing. <laughs> and a 16-minute, too, that's, you know, uh, total runtime. Yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's a healthy so film. How did, you know, so we know kind of the general parameters, you know, get it in 48 hours, and then it's now, it, now you've got a time frame, right? Four to seven minutes. Was that a scientific thing or is it just kind of like that seems like a best flow? What what was your kind of thought yeah, process well, on that it's time? It's pseudoscientific as, yeah. as, as, as close to science as anything in filmmaking is. Essentially, uh, that first year there was no limit and the longest was 16, but most of them were around 11 minutes long. 
So we said in the very next year, 2002, we branched out from Washington, D.C. to five other cities, and it was becoming more of a competition. So we had to set down some very specific rules. And when it came to the, the maximum length, we decided, well, if the average was 11, let's add one more. Um, so we made it 12 minutes was the maximum that year. What we found out, and I'm sure you all could easily guess this, that a terrible 12 minute film feels like it's about three hours long. <laughs> yes, right. So uh, we had some bad ones. And so we, the very next year, we took it down to 10 minutes. Then I want to say the year after that, we took it down to eight minutes. And then finally, it ended up at the seven minutes that it is today. And it's we've just held it there uh, ever since. Yeah, no, we can definitely attest to a, a bad short film can feel like it's uh, tormenting. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well, this one particular one was essentially shot in a conference room and it was a film about a meeting. Okay, so already the subject is deadly, right? It's really, it's really intense, yes. Deadly dull. So they used two camera setups. One didn't change for three minutes, and the other didn't change for nine minutes. Oh, jeez. Oh, so that was probably the worst form of torture I've experienced during the 48. They really did, though, go back to old school silent filmmaking, though, with that approach. I just right. don't move the camera. There, there we go. You got a yeah, film, right? Exactly. It sounds like what I what we tell our students sometimes here is like, like you're ultimately doing this for a grade. I just need you to to turn in something. So if it ends up being one shot and that's all you got for your scene, then that's what you got. So that's that that is that is hilarious and i'm sure the stories could go on and on and on and on oh yeah so was the goal kind of just basically like let's see if we could do this and then get this competition out of it and like you said then it becomes a competition with yourself which i think is interesting too and the thing that right. i think kevin and i found with, find with it and i've now incorporated aspects of the 48 into some of my uh teaching in terms of because there's nothing worse for artists than the fear of the blank canvas, as, as a right. former colleague of ours used to say. Uh, and so I will now, like in the screenwriting class, they're given a genre and a location and that's it. And it's like work from that standpoint, because I, I do think there's that inherent value of, and I think we talked about this, Mark, they're going to walk out of here. They're not going to be Tarantino. They're not going to be Spike Lee. They're going to go have to work for somebody. Sure. So I think that, I mean, Kevin can probably speak to this too. Is like, I think that teaches them like, oh, I got to be creative under someone else's cloud. Was that kind of a thought or again, it's just kind of this experiment that turned into this big thing. Yes. So just for your listeners um, to know, what's a very important part about the 48 is that on Friday night, we have a kickoff event in each city and that's where the teams show up. And until that event, they have no idea what kind of film they have to make. They're going to pull a genre in a random drawing um, and that will be their assignment. And then we announce a character prop and a line of dialogue that they've got to work into their film. And so to be honest with you, the way that this came up to begin with is how do you prevent people from cheating the 48 hours and pre-writing a script? <laughs> and if they don't know their genre and they don't know what these required elements are, then it makes it much more difficult. 
Um, so that's the genesis of where those came from. What's interesting is that from that very first time we did it, May 3rd, 2001, um, the essential elements of pulling a genre, getting an assignment, having 48 hours to make a film, none of that has changed one bit. Everything that was there the first year is still part of, of where we are today. Wow. Uh, so kind of takes us to, uh, the, then the pandemic happened. You're rolling along, you're doing this. No problems. <laughs> well, you're skipping a few things there. <laughs> well, so, yeah. So, well, yeah, I mean, so you, you get it set up, uh, you had your, so the following year, then you have your first event. Is that what happened? <laughs> Yeah, well, so from 2002, we were in the six cities total, and we had uh, our first end-of-year event where uh, filmmakers came to Washington, D.C., and we had a screening, and we announced who the big winner was, and it was a film from Atlanta. Um, and so that worked out great. And so we began expanding uh, more each each year and at this point it's become part-time job for me uh, you know we're in 10 cities in 2003 and maybe 12 in 2004 um and so it's it's growing people are super excited about it um but it's still relatively small in 2000 for the films from 2003, we actually got to present them at a screening at South by Southwest. Okay. So that was kind of our first big how did, awards ceremony. How did that, um, did they approach you on that or how did that work yeah, out? Yeah. To be honest with you, I can't remember if they approached us or we approached them, but we had, you know, uh, 12 films. So it fit nicely in a two hour window. Um, and it was of course great to be part of one of the best film festivals in the world. So yeah, we were sure. eager to jump at it and the filmmakers loved it. So the very next year we had doubled. So we no longer could fit neatly in a two hour block. So we were too big for South by Southwest. So for several years, we partnered with Cinequest, which is the San Jose Film Festival. And those are wonderful people. Um, we did that three times. And then a couple of times we were at the Miami International Film Festival. Um, and then we finally outgrew film festivals. And so since about 20, 2010 or so, um, we've been holding our own event entitled Filmapalooza. And that's a four-day awards festival that happens around the world uh, in different cities around the world each year. Um, so what's... Uh, Another important thing happened in 2007, and that is when we partnered with the Cannes Film Festival to do a special selection screening of our top films of the year. So we will have Film and Palooza in March, and then we take the top dozen films to Cannes in May. And so that really boosted the interest in the 48-hour film project beyond just the United States. And that's when we can see you know, us growing from 50 cities to 77 cities, and very shortly thereafter to be in more than 100 cities each year, which is where we've been, uh, not including the pandemic for the past seven or eight years. Uh, what are the, what are the things that stand? Cause it seems to me, and when I did my research on you all back in 2015, I think, um, it felt like when I talked to various city producers, 
each region had its own like vibe to it and and style approach. It, it, are you seeing like differences between regions, even though they're getting kind of the same genres? Is there a different feel from, uh, let's say, oh, Cincinnati, Ohio's thing versus L.A., for example? There's got to be some sort of regionality to is that coming across, do you think, in the films? I'm not finding too much of a huge difference that way. Uh, certainly not in recent years. Um, you can, of course, we, we can, of course, identify cities that have better filmmakers or more high caliber filmmakers than other cities. And that's just kind of the obvious things. It's going to be your larger cities. It's going to be your cities known for films. So yeah. your L.A.'s and your Atlanta's, they have not only a lot of filmmakers, but a lot of good filmmakers. So on a whole, you could say that those films are better than some of the other cities. Then, then you also have surprising cities like Washington, D.C. I don't think that many people would think of D.C. as a film town. But what D.C. has is a lot of documentary films, <laughs> a lot of government films. Yeah. Um, so there are people who know how to make films. They're not just they're they're just not making Hollywood films. So when the 48 came along, you got to see all this talent being put into into 48 hour films. And so D.C. has often been among our top cities. Have you seen because of that? Yeah, I was just I was just thinking like a lot of political uh, documentaries are probably coming out of there has, I, it just makes me think if now you've got a showcase for folks like in DC where you're not thinking about it. I'm wondering if there's been an up, it'd be an interesting thing as a faculty person where I geek out on this stuff. Is there been an uptick in productions now in DC? You know, has there, have the, has the 48 helped the city in terms of like, now we can get film production here. Cause it seems like there's, there's a quality uh, group of people doing it. So what we've definitely been part of the inspiration and help along the way is getting independent filmmakers to make, make feature films, right? Yeah. Um, there's one that I was just reading about before this, this podcast called the night watchman. So this was created by Ken Arnold, who was a longtime 48 hour filmmaker and a couple of his colleagues and it came out four years ago, and it's an interesting um, horror comedy about vampire clowns, and um, and it's, it's a fun movie. And and what's interesting about it is that its popularity just continues to grow. More and more people uh, find out about it and watch it online every year. But it never had a Hollywood uh, you know kind of release, so. It's those kind of films that, um, that, you know, 48 was part of the inspiration behind. And so speaking of that, nice segue, you yourself produced something. Uh, I, I did my research. As mm -hmm. it, uh, meant to be broken. So you want to talk about how that came about? It sounded like an interesting story, but it seems like it'd be more sure. interesting to hear you talk about it than the article I read. So. <laughs> All right. So um, one of our filmmakers who's a longtime 48er is Jonathan Zuck. And Jonathan is D.C. based, but he competed and won in Miami as well as in Baltimore. So he and I became friends and he's um, uh, definitely was screened at one of our screenings in Cannes and, and met him at Filmapalooza a couple of times. So. He came to me with this idea. He wanted to shoot a road movie. 
And he wanted, and the road movie took place going from New York or even maybe Boston all the way down to Miami. And his contention that the problem with indie films is they don't have enough money to do good location work, right? Good scenes on location. And so that, that oftentimes indie films are always trying to fudge a scene. How can we make this office look like a hospital or whatever? Um, and so his concept was what happens if he travels, actually travels the whole trip from Boston to Miami. And the only people he takes with him are the three main actors and a three person crew. Hmm. But the difference was in each city along the way, he would hook up with a 48 hour film team that I had put together. That's great. And yeah. they would help him shoot that scene, whether he needed extra crew, whether he needed cast, even to the extent of helping him find locations. And it worked beautifully. It was a 30 day road trip. I forget exactly how many of those days they shot, um, but uh, it was a great example of what often happens in 48 hours film projects is a lot of serendipity things just falling into place and and working out very well yeah no they um it's not just 48 because it's uh it made me think about the happy accidents of on uh many many shoots i've been involved in and certainly other ones but that's very true but i think that goes to the planning of it too like you you don't end up with a happy accident unless you've got a good plan it sounds like that that sounds like a wonderful Kevin's eyes lit up when you were talking about this process. Yeah, I mean, yes. it was, it was great. And so for example, um, Jonathan had one of the scenes in Florida needed to be in an amusement park. And so the way they were going to do it is they were going to go to the amusement park parking lot and shoot it in such a way so that the attractions are in the background. Um, and so it gives the audience the impression they're in the amusement park. So Jonathan calls the, uh, the, the 48 hour filmmaker there and tells him what he needs. And this guy um, talks to the amusement park and, and the amusement park and agrees in, to let yeah. them shoot. Yeah, the right. yeah sure. Of course. Yeah. Well, yeah. Free advertisement, right? Like right. they start figuring it out. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. Uh, yeah. And I, and, I, and I think that goes to something I noticed now that we've, we've done this a couple years here at the college helping to run it here in the Inland Empire is that I just didn't realize even doing research on it was the community aspect of it. It's this, it's become a cultural. Yeah. The culture of it. The, yeah. the culture of it Some is culture. It, it's, it's almost, there are certain people that do it all every year. And some of those folks are, they also do other filmmaking. Like you mentioned with the DC folks, like this is my one time to actually do something that I really want to do versus all the political stuff I'm covering. Right. Uh, or there's just those folks that like, I just, they just love doing it. it for, is, it's a passion for them. Yeah. yeah. It's like their one day or one weekend out of the year, they can actually film yeah. a narrative, you know? Yeah. So I, kudos to you all for, I, I think, and it's something that I, I've long pushed and I saw happening. I think as the digital thing was happening is like more and more people should be able to create their their stories and and feature projects or whatever they are and now we're in a capability of self-distribution so i i i think you 
definitely on to something. So it's just exciting to be a part of it on that level as educators and artists ourselves. So I appreciate it. Uh, Go ahead, Mark. I was just going to say, one of the most gratifying things for us is to, is two things. One to see people's creativity each and every year, even though we've been doing this 20 years, I'm always seeing something brand new come out uh, in these films. The other thing is just so great to see where the filmmakers move on to, you know, a lot of people get job, start out as wanting to get a job in the industry. And then through 48 and other work that they do, they're able to make that actually happen. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, in honesty, if it wasn't for the 48, I don't know if I'd be here because I had hit, I went to film school and then hit this law of not creating for a minute. And I was in LA and life happens, right? And I moved back to, you know, the Inland Empire. Those that are going to be listening to this on a national level, California just isn't LA, San Diego, and San Francisco. There's other parts of the yeah, state. There's other cities. There's exactly. other cities. Yeah. And the Inland Empire is in about an hour or so inland from LA. So that's why it got its clever name. So I'm back here tooling around and some friends of mine are like, hey, we're going to do this 48. And I was like, oh, this sounds really interesting. I don't know what, you know, I had, you know, certain training that I did in film school and I just got my bug going. Right. And so right. I, I can see that definitely. And it's definitely. So it's like from there, then we just started creating on our own. And I, and so I think, you know, when I read your guys' mission, it's like, oh yeah, they are hitting that. It's people, whatever level it is, they're inspired yeah. to do work. So I, I just, I think that's powerful. I think the other thing that you mentioned early, your background, organizational leadership, and this is something that I, I feel like I'm screaming at sometimes uh, fellow faculty or counselors uh, when when I'm trying to promote our program, our department as a major for students is I'm a realist and I know majority of our students are not, you know, they're starting here at a community college level. They're eight, 17, 18, 19 years old. And, and to think that, you know, in this era where you're changing careers seven to 10 times, you're going to end up doing this on any major is, is, is it's a big, it's a big guess, (laughs) but I just know, as you said, the organizational leadership, those soft skills that they're getting on a film set transfer to, I think any, any industry. And I'm sure you like, you're talking about the uh, working for the chamber of commerce, like all the things you had to organize for that is that's filmmaking one oh one, I think. Right. Well, certainly it doesn't matter if you're making a 48 hour film or you're making a Hollywood blockbuster. There are three things that are the exact same on every set. One is budget management. Another is time management. Yes. And the third is some problem is going to arise and how are you going to deal with it? And uh, one of the great ways, or at least put it this way, one of the inexpensive ways to learn is to do it as part of a 48 hour film. Yeah. And, uh, and you're just going to be that much more capable uh, when you're on your next shoot or whatever. So what I could add to that too. I mean, I think, you know, for me as a filmmaker, that's how I always looked at the 48 as a time to practice, do like a test shoot, like you were just mentioning. But just going back to what you said, I've come across so many people over the last 10 years that I've been involved with it, both as a filmmaker, but now as a city producer. Um, man, like 
we've reignited their careers in film. I have I have friends who yeah. are in my 48 now that are actually acting, you know, they have an agent the whole nine. Wow. Whereas before that they weren't they weren't doing anything, you know. They were they were working whatever job and then the 48 weekend just like fired That's them up so and cool. put them right back in the day. So and I cool. see that a lot. Yeah, you know? I think I think the part 2 of my research on this, the next conference proposal right. is yeah. To do some sort of follow up on everyone that's been involved in it and where they're at now, um, so like you said, there's a lot of things that happened before the pandemic, and then the pandemic hit, <laughs> and so we all know that we we all went through that, and we're going through it. We're hopefully on the tail end of this, uh, but I think like other industries, it, are there things that you picked up from that? Like, well, this is a this is actually a positive. Is is there something that came out of it? Uh, from a management perspective on the 48 that you think, wow, this is, this is going to work for us long-term. Well, I guess there are a couple of things I could, could point to that aren't, that weren't too bad. It's hard to, to really think of positives coming out of it. Essentially what happened, you know, the 48 hour film project is an event business, yeah. you know, in each city we have at least five events, including the kickoff, the drop off used to be in person and the screenings. So we were very much needed to see each other. That was how it happened. So when the pandemic hit, the first year we moved about 98% of the things online and we really became a very strong proponent of safe sets. And so we gave education materials to make, sh make sure that if our filmmakers were going to shoot, that they were doing it safely. Um, so the COVID had a huge impact. You know, our participation was down by two thirds. Uh, we came back then this year, 2021, and um, and we saw our registrations increase and participation increase. Still, we're in about 75 total cities, but this time around, almost everything was back in person. Um, the big difference that we uh, saw because of the pandemic is that it pushed us to have an online drop-off instead of an in-person drop-off. So when Sunday night rolls around and you need to submit your film and submit your paperwork, you can now do that virtually. And so that does save uh, the filmmakers from driving when they're too tired. It saves um, a lot of work on the back end of us having to up ingest the film into the computer that all happens uh on sunday night automatically so that that was a pretty good um result of the pandemic so what so we're at our 20 year mark where's the next 20 years from here <laughs> what's next what's the next sure. 40 well the first thing is to get back yeah. into 115 plus cities um we actually have cities on every single continent uh, this weekend cape town south africa is happening we've got mexico city next weekend mexico city is our largest city they routinely have over 200 teams participating Damn. rome italy also is next weekend so we have a footprint all over and we just want to be able to bring it to whatever community where there are filmmakers looking to make films it's, you know that is our goal is to inspire filmmakers to do their thing um one of 
of the things that I found myself stuck in was talking about making a film after I made those first two shorts, but not actually getting around to doing it. And so the yes. 48 hours tosses all of your excuses out the window. Yes, it you, does. You, you just show up, you get your team, your friends, whoever to be the cast and crew and you make it happen. Yeah. That's a part of it though, too, is, you know, gives you an opportunity to bring those people together that maybe they weren't totally together yet for whatever reason, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. and then it, it, the stuff comes out of that. It grows out of that. Too, well, so. yeah. And then after our, uh, was it award screening, Kevin and I went out, to uh, dinner drinks or whatever, uh, with a couple other filmmakers that we'd seen for years and it was finally nice to sit down with them and see where they were coming from and how, sure. we could, how we could hopefully in the future collaborate. Collab, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's definitely um, jazzy uh, and cool. <laughs> well, there have been plenty of uh, collaborations that have resulted from this. There have even been at least 15 marriages that have resulted from people wow. meeting on 48-hour yeah. sets. So it's uh, the the grow the creating this opportunity for a community to grow has certainly been a great benefit of, of doing it. I, I think we have a... A documentary pitch in the works. Right. Here. Yeah. I'm sure he's already on it. <laughs> I'm sure yeah, he's already on I, it. I think that's what's great about it is that yeah. sometimes you forget it. There, it's it's more than just a filmmaking weekend. It's like this weekend where people just come together. Yeah. Again, it, it you know became a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah. And, and we've talked. If you don't mind me bringing up, Mark. Yeah, we were talking about how the school can maybe help in the future with with things and. Uh, I think we're we're on the way to doing some boot camps here at the college that will be open. Yeah, a couple of things that we've got in mind for the future. Um, so for our regular filmmakers, we want to do a better job of tracking our alumni um, and and touting their success. That's number one. Number two, we also want to see what we can do to help uh, their next step, whether that's a feature film or something else. Then looking at other communities, we're looking at starting up our high school 48. We've done a couple of pilots in recent years. And so that's something we expect to add in the spring. And then, as you mentioned, this idea of doing some kind of filmmaking boot camp and whether that is geared to uh, students or to people out of school. Um, we're open to both. Traditionally, our biggest uh, group of participants, the, the demographic is 25 to 35 year olds. So it is people who are past college and uh, looking for something fun and uh, creative to do. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we, we hope to be a part of that. We, we love. Absolutely. Yeah. We love to help out here in our community, especially. So, um, all right, Kevin, you got any, any final thoughts for Mr. Rupert? No, I just think it's it's awesome. I, I think a lot of uh, I know the pandemic was challenging, you know, but at least, you know, I think there was some good connections that came together. And so no, I don't really have a lot. I, I really came in to just listen. You know, I was I was really intrigued. I grabbed them. Yeah, just because he was like, ah, we're going to talk about, you know, you know, the, the whole kind of uh, story of the 48. And I was like, oh. I was, you know, yeah. that's what I want, wanted to kind of sit down and nice, nice, nice. You know, yeah. Well, no, I've enjoyed chatting with you guys and sharing the story of the 48 with your audience and uh, happy to answer further questions if you, if you have anything. 